Uh, thank you, Caitlin, uh, for the, that announcement. And I really hope, as we're talking about hope, that as a church, uh, we're able to pray for these families and to support them and to show the hope of Christ to them, to be a blessing to them in whatever way possible. So whether you write a card, uh, write a Christmas blessing uh, over them, a prayer to them, or support in other ways, uh, let's, let's do that as a church. Uh, their organization that's just down the block, uh, Maine and King Edward-ish, and that's where their office is. Uh, and uh, when they're matched uh, with, uh, when we were matched with these families, I really felt as a, as a church and as a leadership, man, our hearts are going out for them. Uh, these single moms uh, trying to raise these, um, well, one of them not even having a born uh, child yet. So as a, as a church, let's be a blessing this Christmas uh, and to support them and to show the love of Christ together. Uh, if you haven't already, uh, if you didn't know, we're in Luke chapter 15 uh, today, uh, verse 11 to 32, where I'll be reading from. So open up your Bibles. And I'm going to read for us, or you can follow along on the screen, or use your phones, uh, whatever it is you want to follow along with. Verse 11, chapter 15, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he, would, he, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set, up, set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick! Bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field, and when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in, so his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your, your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when, it, when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, You are always with me. And everything I have is yours. But we, we, but we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is, and is alive again. He was lost and is found. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, this morning as we come before you in your word, we thank you, God, that you choose to meet with us. So today, God, as you open up your word, as we continue on in this series in Luke, God, may you speak and may you soften our hearts to hear your message, God, and may it be words of truth that are spoken today. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for being a God that runs after us, 
that loves us first. And may we hear that message of grace this morning as we go into your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Maybe it's probably not a surprise for many of you, but I have a younger brother. Uh, he was just leading worship uh, <laughs> up here uh, just before this. And Duncan and I are brothers, and though we come from the same parents, we're really uh, quite different. I, could, I couldn't sit still as a kid, and I still have trouble sitting still now. I love sports, and I had a hard time studying and just concentrating. But Duncan, he could sit still for hours, it seems like. Uh, and he was and continues to be musical, and he could study for hours. My room was super messy, but Duncan, man, the pen was perfectly placed where it needed to be uh, on the desk. Everything was where it should be, and it could be found uh, right then and there. Me, on the other hand, I would, I would throw my backpack into, in, 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 into, into my closet where my sandwiches that I didn't eat or half-eaten the day would just fly out, and I didn't know, and sandwiches would be rotting in my uh, in my closet. Uh, that's, that's who I am. Uh, that's how I was. Kind of gross now that I talk about it. Uh, but we're very different. I was impatient, but Duncan was really patient. Patient to the point where he can play these simulator games, where he played this truck simulator game that it was in real time. All right? It was in real time driving a truck from the east coast of the U.S. to the west coast of the U.S. It's just sitting there driving this truck on this simulator. I'm like, that's some patience uh, that you have. And there's probably more times that Duncan uh, was patient most of the time, but he got upset with me on, on a few occasions. I don't remember all of them. There were many uh, that I made him to be upset as the older brother. Uh, but one stood out to me where I really wanted to play uh, baseball. I wanted to practice. So I'm like, hey, Duncan, you need to pitch so I can hit and practice. He really didn't want to play, but I forced him anyways. Let's go out. Let's do this. And on the very first pitch, I smacked it and ran right back at him. And it smoked him right in the thigh, and he threw his glove down and said, See, I told you, I don't want to play this stupid game. And he ran off. Uh, and so Duncan is usually not you know, that emotional and angry and worked up, so it was really quite a scene. Uh, you, you know, you know as, as two brothers that grew up in the same household, uh, coming from the same parents, we really are quite different. And we're in a series called Meals with Jesus where we learn of two brothers as well. These two sons that uh, interact with the same father, and we're in this, uh, in this passage today, in this series, Meals with Jesus, as we study different meals that Jesus has with people. But here, Jesus doesn't, uh, he's telling the story this time. He's not in the story itself, but there is extravagant meal that's involved here, a big banquet, a big celebration for the son that left, the younger son that left and squandered everything. Uh, as this passage is commonly known, the parable of the lost son or the parable of the prodigal son, it's a, it's a, it's a famous passage. Uh, there's a TV series about it, isn't there? It's named after this, the prodigal son. Uh, there's famous paintings like by Rembrandt who painted the scene uh, right here for us. And the word prodigal uh, means, even though it doesn't uh, actually show up in the text here, it means wasteful. It means wasteful, extravagantly wasteful. And we see how the father's love doesn't just reach out to the prodigal, but it reaches out to the older son as well, which we'll get to a little bit later. But as we go into this, uh, this parable, this story that Jesus tells about these two sons, I'm really hoping that we'll see this, uh, this, this morning, that the scandalous grace of God, our father, gives us a hope like no other. The scandalous grace of God, our father, gives us a hope like no other, that this passage this morning through verses 11, uh, 
actually all of chapter 15 of Luke, it's really all about grace. It's all about God's scandalous grace for us, how, the, the, how far he will go to love us, to save us, to reach out to us. No matter how far we fall, no matter what we've done, no matter how f- out of the picture, how down and out we might feel, the scandalous grace of God our Father gives us a hope like no other, no matter what situation we're going through right now. And that's because whatever it is we think we've done, however bad it is, whatever state we think of ourselves, God's grace goes further. God's grace is more than whatever it is that you think you have done and are doing. In the passage today, as I mentioned, it's all about grace. It's all about grace. Through these three parables here, the parable of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son, what Jesus is doing here as he's preaching to the crowd, he's painting this picture of who this God is that we follow. So that's what we, that's what we learn here in this extravagant meal, this story that Jesus tells. We learn about God, this attribute of God, this grace that God gives to his people, this scandalous grace that makes no sense, but God still does it because of his love. And in order for us to understand, I know we skipped uh, the lost sheep and the lost coins, so you have an opportunity, uh, go back to those verses in Luke 15 and, and read them. But in order for us to understand verses 11 to 32, we actually need to go back and, and, and understand verses 1 to 2, because that sets the context for us of why Jesus says what he says here. I'll read it for us, Luke 15, 1 to 2. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And then Jesus launches into talking about the lost sheep and then the lost coin and then the prodigal son in the last section here. You see, we have to understand who the crowd was that was listening to Jesus. It was the tax collectors. And we often think of you know, the tax collectors as Zacchaeus, a wee little man on a tree, right? That's kind of what, what we think about uh, the little man on a tree, and, called, and Jesus came up to him and said, hey, have dinner with me tonight. I'm coming over. I'm hanging out with you. you know, that's cute. Uh, that's good. But that doesn't exactly paint the full picture of how hated the tax collectors were. See, they, they took money from people. They taxed people extra and pocketed it, uh, maybe a few extra dollars uh, that would go into their bank account. But that wasn't really the main reason why they were hated. Yes, they, they were taking advantage of the people around them, but it's because of who they were working for. See, in that time, as the Israelites were walking around, Rome was that major power that was in control. And these tax collectors, who were Jewish themselves, ended up working for the Roman government. So they were actually taking taxes from their own people, there's money from their own people to fund the armies of the enemy. The armies that will come and pillage the villages that they lived in. The armies that will come in and take their women and, and, and take their, their children and sell them off to slavery. These tax collectors would take that money from these families and fund the enemy to do that. So here, Jesus is hanging out with them and sitting with them and eating with them and conversing with them. And that's why they're thinking, why would you do that, Jesus? Why would you sit with people that are doing this to our people? And then you sat with the sinners, and and, and that day they believed that the people who were born with all sorts of deformities and illnesses and sicknesses wasn't because of natural causes of the human condition, but it was because of sin from their family. So as the Pharisees and teachers of the law, you separate yourself from those that are unclean. So because you have this illness or because you're going through this in your family, you must have sinned. 
you must be doing something terribly wrong and God is punishing you and therefore I need to separate yourself. So Jesus is hanging out with the tax collectors and the sinners and the, the, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law could not understand this. Why would this man welcome these sinners and why would, they, why would he eat with them? And then on the other side that this section of the text in Luke starts with is the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. See, I mentioned this before, and, and we mentioned this uh, in previous sermons, that the Pharisees and teachers of the law, they, they were the spiritual elites of the day. However much you think you know of the Bible, I'm pretty sure they know more. <laughs> I guarantee you that they knew more because they remembered the entire Torah, which was the first five books of the Bible, which is 271 pages in my Bible. They remembered it word for word. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, they memorized that. You think about Awana, quoting two verses. <laughs> They're like, that's it? You're like, I remember the whole chapter. Like, that's it? I'll do you one more. How about five books more? How about 271 pages more of text? Let's be honest here. How many of us have actually made it through Leviticus? <laughs> right? Just forget memorizing it. Like, remembering it. Like, that, that's real. Forget remembering. This, actually, just reading through it is a really hilarious book because if you get a chance to read it, it's full of strange rules. Uh, most of them do not apply because of the new covenant that we have in Jesus Christ, but rules like, like this, that uh, the lasting ordinance in Leviticus 3, for the generations to come, wherever you live, you must not eat any fat. I'm thankful that that's not a rule anymore. Uh, going to seminary, we hear corny jokes like this where there was bacon served one one, uh, one conference, and the guy behind me was like, thank God we live in New Testament times. Uh, those are the corny jokes that you hear. Uh, but they would memorize like, like rules like that, or do not cut the hair at the sides of your head or clip off the edges of your beard, which is why many people that are is, uh, Israelites and Jewish don't and grow off full beards. They still follow rules like that. So whatever you think, however spiritual you think you are, however long you think you fasted, However long you think you've stayed up or you woke up for your devotions, like these were the spiritual elite. They kept it to a T because they believed it was for God and for their honor, uh, for God's honor, and whatever they did reflected that, but then it ended up being twisted and manipulated and, and lived out in the wrong way. So we see here, it sets the tone for us in Luke 11 to 32 because we see the two sons, because who are the two sons here? The two sons are the tax collectors and the sinners, and on the other side, the older son is the Pharisees and the teachers of the law that Jesus is painting a picture of. Here, so as Jesus is telling the story, the Pharisees and teachers of the law, as, he, as Jesus is telling the story of the younger son squandering uh, everything that he has, they're, they're thinking, yeah, Jesus, go and get him. Tell them how bad they are. Tell them how undeserving they are of the Father's grace. Tell them how far they are from falling away. So when Jesus tells the story of the extravagant and scandalous grace of God the Father, the Pharisees, their jaws would have dropped and said, that's not how the story is supposed to end. And sorry to ruin the story for you, but the Father here represents God. <laughs> the Father represents God, our Father, who loves us and who knows us. And the text starts off like this. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. So keep those two groups in mind. The younger one said to his father, Father, forgive me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not only after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. 
And after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a, country, a, citizen, out to a citizen of that country who, went, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the paws that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. So a little bit more here for us to understand this, that when in that day in culture, and maybe even now for some of us, that when you ask for an inheritance now, from your father, from your parents, you're really wishing and saying in another way that you're wishing that they weren't there anymore. That's, another, that's how disrespectful it was for this younger son to go up to the father in this way. And what, we, what do we notice, not just of the son, but what do we notice of the father? Instead of lashing out on the son, giving a smack on the head, telling his son off, go to your room, go out to the field, go take care of the whatever, instead of sending him off, the father lets it happen. The father lets it happen. That's what we see here. The father, instead of telling the younger son to go off and mind his own business, the father lets it happen. And I suppose we could argue whether that is good parent, parenthood or not. We could argue why did the father do that. Well, some would say that if the father really loved his son, then he wouldn't have let him do that. He wouldn't have given the son half of his belongings. Would half of his, his, uh, given his, his inheritance. God could have said no. But here's what I want us to focus on and notice here. God could have said no, but in his grace, he said yes. God could have said no, but in his grace, he said yes. Because I think it points to this, that God is so gracious that he lets us make our own choices. That God is so gracious that he lets us go off in what we think is best, he doesn't want it for us. He doesn't desire pain and suffering for us, but he's so gracious that he's like, what, I'm going to let you live your life. That's actually God's grace. That's actually God's mercy. Instead of wiping us off right here and right now, allowing us to live out this life, that whatever it is that we think is best for us. And it doesn't mean he enjoys it. It doesn't mean he wants us to go through any of the things that we have gone through because of the choices that we make, but God also knows us. He knows our future he knows our past. He knows our present now. He knows what's best for us. God also knows our hearts and knows what we really need, what's really needed for us to draw back close to him. It reminds us maybe of Romans 1.24, right? In the beginning of that letter to the, the church in Rome, Paul says this, therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts. God gave them over. Why? It's actually in his grace and in his mercy. And hope that they will come back to him. And hope that whatever direction they're going off in, they would experience that that is not enough. That that is not good enough compared to God our Father and the graces and the goodness that he has waiting for us. And maybe you can think back to some of your moments. Some of your moments. Some of your most terrible moments. And some of your most painful moments where you wouldn't wish that upon anyone else. But you also know that without them, you wouldn't be who you are today. You wouldn't be who you are today without experiencing those painful and terrible moments. Maybe some of it was caused by our, our decisions. Maybe some of them weren't. But God in his grace and in his mercy allows it to happen so that we will come back to him. So that we will come to know how good our God is. 
I had a conversation with someone that works in an organization in our city, and we know that organization, and I had a conversation with them this week, and I was just sharing, and she asked me my story, and I was sharing about how I used to play a lot of baseball, and I got injured, and I couldn't play anymore, but I was super frustrated and angry because I thought that was my future, and she said this to me, like, wow, that's amazing, like, it, life would have really been different if you continued on playing sports. Uh, I'm like, yeah, I, I guess so, maybe, um, but, but then she also said, Wow, isn't that God's grace that you got injured? Wasn't it God's grace that you got injured so that you went back to him, so that you realized that the sport that you were after, that you were idolizing, actually couldn't fulfill you fully anyways, that whatever it is that you have here on earth could be taken away in a moment, in an instant. Isn't that a moment of grace by God? And we see this here in this passage. I believe that to be true here, that that, 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 that's what the younger son experiences, why God the Father allows him to experience this, because God is so gracious. It's scandalous in a way, because we think that we, we, the good father would have held him back, but out of his goodness and his grace, he actually allowed him. So that allows us to think about our own lives. What is it that we're going through? What are decisions we've made? What are situations you're experiencing and going through? That gives us hope in this moment, the scandalous scandalous grace of God gives us hope in the moment, no matter what it is that we're going through, that God knows what he is doing, that God is in control, that God knows us in our hearts, he knows what it is that we need, and he's with us every single step of the way. And that's why the, the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 4, and this verse has been on my heart a lot recently, in light of the floods that's happening, in light of what this whole year has been, Apostle Paul says this, therefore, we do not lose hope. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So what? We fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. We do not lose hope. Why? Because of this hope. We don't lose heart. Why? Because of this hope that we have. This hope that God knows what he is doing. And maybe you're in one of those seasons right now. As we go into Advent, Advent of hope, maybe you're in one of those seasons right now. You're asking God, where are you? What are you doing? Where are you in my life? I don't feel you. I don't sense you. Nothing seems to matter and make sense. I don't know the direction and the purpose of my life. Maybe you're in that kind of moment. Or maybe you can think of someone else that's really far away really, really far away. And I think for us this morning is to be reminded of this hope in God that he knows what, it, what he is doing. For those that have fallen away, and maybe even for ourselves, for us to pray, pray that God in his grace will use those moments to bring them back to him. That in our moments here, that we will be drawn back to God as well. God shows us that he's still there and that he still cares no matter what it is you're going through. Because I know personally in the darkest moments of my life, you wonder, God, are you there? Are you listening? Are you still with me? But here, even though the son ran away, the father still desires the son to be close, still desires for him to be with him. And it is in this tiredness that the son comes to his senses, as we read in verse 17. When he came to his senses... He said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. 
I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. As I'm reading this, I'm thinking about all the times I've done something wrong at home and I was starting to make up excuses. Starting to make up excuses where he's basically here practicing his speech, right? He's practicing his speech for when he goes back to his dad. And this is what I'm going to say. You know, I didn't really mean to do it. You know, I, I really meant, you know, go, I really meant to go study at the library, but I ended up at that party for six hours. Um, you know, I really meant to sit here and do this, but then, you know, that video game just fell into my hands. And, you know, I just, I just started playing. And I remember for me, I, I went out with my friends. It was a Friday night. Uh, it started snowing. I took my mom's, uh, mom's uh, Corolla 90, 90, 1996. Uh, champagne, not beige, okay? Uh, you're like, that's the difference, right? A champagne Corolla. I drove it, no snow tires, it started snowing, and I rear-ended my friend. Uh, and I thought it, of all the excuses, he, he slammed on the brakes, it was snowing, our tires are bad, uh, whatever. Uh, it, was, it, was kind of looking, it wasn't funny then, but looking back now, uh, the hood of the Corolla was totally crumpled and bent. My parents remember that, they're here today. Uh, they remember that. Uh, but my friend's bump, uh, bumper was totally untouched. It was actually, because a little bit higher, his, his exhaust pipe was bent downwards. Uh, and he came out, he's like, huh. And he just pulled it back up and just started driving again. Uh, but while my, my car was pretty, you know, <laughs> pretty messed up. And I was driving home thinking about all, this, all these excuses, all the reasons why it could have gone wrong. And here the son is on the way, was about to go home and think about all the excuses, all the reasons of why he did what he did. And here, the Pharisees, remember them, we're going to get to them in a little bit. The Pharisees and teachers of the law are thinking at this younger son, which represented those sinners and those tax collectors as is going back to the father. They're thinking, yeah, Jesus, you tell them. You tell them how bad they are. You tell them what the father is going to say when, they finally, um, when, when the father finally meets the son. But we read this. So he got up and went to his father, the younger son. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son and threw his arms around him and kissed him. While he was a long way off, even though the son ran off and took the inheritance and did whatever it is that he wanted to do, the father was still searching. The father was still waiting. The father was still looking. While he was still a long way off, that's how you spot someone, right? You don't spot someone a long way off by accident. You are looking for them. You're on, you're on the lookout for them. And here, a long way off, the father has been looking and searching and waiting for his son to come back. And we notice all the action words here. His father, what saw him and was filled with compassion, and he ran and threw and kissed him. This is the active love of God, our Father, the act of grace. He doesn't just sit back, but he throws himself entirely into the situation. And the son, who had somewhat of a script rehearsed, didn't get through all of it, but he got through some of it. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven, against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Began to celebrate. It's been explained to me once that people of respect, people of dignity in that culture, it would have been scandalous for them to run at all. 
that in that time, if you were of, of, of respect, of honor, that of, of, of a certain age, uh, uh, of a certain status and culture, you don't run because life happens around you. You never run, but you walk. But here in the urgency, in the, in, in the, in the love and the joy of the Father, he runs and he doesn't care about his dignity. He doesn't care about that shame. He doesn't care about anyone else's respect and what they would think of him. All he cared about at that moment was to be reunited with his son, reunited with his child that he loves so much. So we see this here, that God is so gracious that instead of blaming and yelling at his son who came home, he would take on the shame himself. He would take on the shame himself of running out in the field of this son that disrespected him in front of all, all his whole family, in front of his servants. Instead of yelling at him and re- getting his honor back, he would heap on that shame on himself and not put it on to the son. Instead of giving the son what he deserves for, what, for doing what he did, the father does the opposite. He does the opposite. That's my robe. The best robe that's for me, I'm giving that to you. That's my ring, a ring of my authority. I'm giving that to you. I've, I've been saving this for another celebration, another bigger celebration, but there's nothing bigger than this, than my son coming home and being with me. So go kill the fattened calf and prepare this meal and this feast. Let's celebrate. Instead of blaming his son for doing what he has done, he takes on that shame. He takes on that, that guilt of the son. He takes on everything that the son has been feeling and shifts it on to himself. And he says, I'm not going to hold on to what you've done to me. I'm not going to count that against you anymore. But you're here, and that's what matters. You want this relationship. You're back, son. You're back, daughter. You've come home, and that's worth celebrating. That's worth celebrating. I like this quote from Max Lucado. He says this, the meaning of life, the wasted years of life, the poor choices of life, God answers the mess of life with one word, grace. Grace. No matter what we've done, how far we've fallen, what we're still doing now, God's grace is still more. The scandalous grace of God our Father is enough for us. It's more than enough for us. It gives us hope, a hope like no other. Because no matter where we've gone, we're never too far away from God's grace to cover over us. God is seeking you out, seeking us out. But meanwhile, which the Pharisees would have thought, man, that's not how I thought the story was going to go. He turns over to the older son. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard the music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him, what was going on? Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. I feel like there's a bit of Maybe it's just the way that I read it. I think there's a bit of humor here uh, for me because I'm thinking, well, it's kind of like when our kids is having a bad day and they're not happy. And they're like, I'm not going to eat dinner. And for me, I'm like, well, I'm not the one suffering, uh, really. Uh, you're the one that's going to be hungry. Maybe I'll suffer later when you're hungry and you're, you, know, you can't go to sleep. But like, that doesn't really affect me. You're the one that's going to be hungry later. Here, 
this older son is angry and refused to go into this party that everyone's having fun inside, and he's outside sulking. He's the only one that's suffering, actually. Uh, the older son became angry and refused to go in, and he's, he's, he thinks that he's punishing the people inside by not being present, but he's actually punishing himself. Uh, he's the one that's experiencing this, the, the, the suffering when he didn't really need to. But the father saw him. The father saw him, so the, his father went out and pleaded with him, but he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, so he's been a faithful and obedient son, yet you have never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. Uh, but when the son of yours, who has, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. And the father's response, my son, the father said, you are always with me. And everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. What's shocking for us here, how the tables have turned here, is that the prodigal who left home and took the inheritance and squandered it, the prodigal who was physically and maybe emotionally and heart-wise, far away from the Father, is now reconciled with the Father. Is now connected and reconciled with the Father. But on the other hand, the older son, who was obedient the whole time, who was faithful and working hard and close to the Father physically the whole time, his heart was actually been far away from him at this moment. His heart is the far, farthest away. And there's a warning here for us and shows us how it's possible for us that even though we would be we could be busy working for God, but our hearts is what matters. Our hearts could actually, actually be quite far away from him. And here the older son who represents the self-righteous Pharisees and the teachers of the law, the older son could only see the sin of the prodigal, the sin of the prodigal instead of his own sin. The older son who wouldn't go up and talk to his father but yet felt comfortable enough to talk to the servant didn't really have this relationship, right? Like if he was comfortable and open enough with his dad, he would just go up and be like, hey dad, this is what's going on. This is what I'm feeling. But no, he didn't have this real, this close relationship. So he had to talk to and confide in with the servant. And though the older son, just like how the younger son was at a distance and the father went out to him and ran to him, though the older son was outside, and par- outside of the party and sulking, the father went out. He went out. The same father who ran to the prodigal now runs to the older son outside and pleads with him and confides him and tries to comfort him. And here's the third and final point here about God's grace. That God is so gracious. I'm extracting here from from, from us as we understand what this text is about. That God is so gracious that he would leave his home that he would leave heaven for us. That God is so gracious that he would leave the greatest party ever that is going on in heaven for us. Thus, that are sitting out and sulking and suffering and thinking, why does no one care about me? That our Father in heaven would leave heaven for us and to invite us in. See, everything was good in heaven. Everything was, is perfect in heaven. God doesn't need us to be with him and to be there with him, but he wants us there with him. 
He wants us to have this relationship. So he comes outside where it's dark and it's cold. He goes down on his knees and talks to us and confides in us and comforts us and wants us and yearns us and pleads with us to come back and to be with him. He comes out to the dark and to the cold. And he's like, in case you still don't believe me, I'm going to go on that cross. I'm not just going to plead with my words, but when I'm on that cross, I'm pleading with you, with all of humanity, that this is, this is how much I love you. This is how much I care for you. That that was God on the cross for you and for me to show us how much we are loved. That's how scandalous this grace is. That we've done nothing to, your, to earn it. We've done nothing to deserve it. But God and his love and his grace finds us and seeks us. The scandalous grace gives us hope because God is trustworthy. That God is good. He is who he says he is. To the prodigal, to the prodigal son and to the prodigal daughter, you're not too far away from my love and from my saving. You're not too far away. No matter what it is you have done, my love is more. My grace is more. To the Pharisees of our day, the teachers of our law who are self-righteous, who are thinking, God, where are you? I've done all these things. God, I do not hear you right now. Where are you in my life? He's also saying this to us. You're also not too far away from my love. I will also come and to be with you. There's a school program that helped children to keep up with their learning, where they will send teachers out uh, to, to teach the children in their homes or wherever they are to help them keep up with school. And one of the teachers was called by this, uh, this organization, and the teacher said, yeah, I, I can help out. We're studying nouns and adverbs in classes, so I can... I'll be, more than, uh, I'll be more than glad to help out uh, this student uh, while uh, he is outside of the school. So the, the program uh, sent this teacher to the hospital where this boy was, and he was uh, suffering from bad burns and couldn't be at school. And the teacher didn't actually know this. So, he was ups- uh, so she was upset at this site, and she was trying to teach him grammar and teach him nouns and teach him sentence structures and teach him how to, uh, how, how to read and, and, and to understand English properly. And when she left, she felt like she didn't do too much. She felt like, man, I don't know, she, he, this boy needs to heal, this boy needs to recover from his, from, from his wounds. But the next week, when the, when the teacher came back, the nurse came to her and said, what did you do to this boy? And this teacher was like, oh, what, what did I do? That I, you know, I, I just tried to teach and I, 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 did I do something wrong? And she started apologizing. And this nurse said, no, 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 no. You don't know what I mean. We've been worried about this little boy for a long time. Ever since, yes, ever since, uh, ever since the day you came, his whole attitude has changed. He's fighting back. He's responding to the treatment. It's as if he's decided to live. Two weeks later, the boy explained that he had completely given up hope. From the burns and injuries, he had completely given up hope until the teacher arrived. Why? He explained everything changed when he came to this simple realization. He expressed it in this way. They wouldn't send a teacher to work on nouns and adverbs with a dying boy, would they? They wouldn't send a teacher to work on nouns and adverbs with a dying boy, would they? So when they sent the teacher, that means there's a hope that I will live, that I will survive this. What are you facing right now? What are you going through right now? 
The fact that Jesus sent his son onto the cross to be among us shows us and wants to dis- he wants to display to us that there is life waiting for you, that your life is worth saving, that, it was, that the father is saying it was worth it for him to run out into the field for his son and to plead with his other son. In the same way today, he's saying your life is worth it. Your life is more cherished and, and more worthy and known and loved than it ever and than it was, than you think it is. And it's simply because of God our Father, the scandalous grace of God our Father, it gives us this hope that you are worth it, that you are loved and you are cherished. The call for us this morning to come home, to listen to the Father again, and to be in his presence. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace that is so scandalous that you, Lord, would take on the shame and the blame yourself so that we can have new life. I pray for everyone here, God. I don't know everyone's situation. I don't know what's going on in our hearts. I don't know our past and our present, and I definitely don't know our future, Lord, but you do. So, Father, today at this moment, we pray that we would experience the love of the Father, that you, God, only has has goodness for us. You only has, has grace for us. We don't come back to your home and you don't, yell and shame us and tell us to get away, but you embrace us fully. So this moment, Lord, may we experience the embrace of the Father. May we experience your love. May we know you and this hope that you give. Thank you, Jesus, for who you are, for that cross, for giving us new life. So that now, Lord, in this life, no matter what it is we go through, we can experience joy, we can experience peace, we can experience the goodness of God not only in heaven, but right now, because that is what you have promised. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.